we transition into the sermon part of the worship, you may be thinking, you know, we, we sing these songs because we know what the Word says. And then we get into the Word and it helps us sing these songs. It just kind of goes together. It's what, what you always want is the, uh, you probably noticed that, but our songs are obviously written by very talented people, sung by very talented people, played by very talented people, but they're all biblical. They, they all bring up uh, truths about God and, and Christ, and I think that's uh, probably why they touch us so much when you sing them, because they have the most important truths uh, within them. So as we continue here in Mark, remember one of the things we're trying to do here, one of the themes it seems that Mark has is he's trying to get us to understand who Jesus is through the eyes of the apostles or the disciples as we go through. So w we come to a time uh, here where the, uh, the, the narrative seems to be m uh, moving forward chronologically, uh, but there's a flashback that we get, and that happens. We see that in movies today. This is kind of uh, the way this is written, which is kind of interesting. Um, so these first uh, few verses are about King Herod, who heard of it. Well, what's he hearing of? Uh, well, we have to go back and look what it is. Um, he's sending out the 12. He's seeing all these things that the gospel is being preached. Miracles are happening. Uh, people are talking to take notice, and Jesus is getting pretty famous. Um, so King Herod hears of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work at him, in him. But others said he is Elijah, and others said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. So this kind of puts the narrative forward. We haven't heard about John's death yet, but obviously at this point in the text, it's happened. So what we're going to get for it was Herod who had, well, and we'll look at that, but Herod, um, Herod is one of those guys that uh, we think we know who he is, but then we find out that there's a bunch of these guys running around. Uh, there's a Herod at the in the nativity story. That's not the same guy. Uh, this Herod was a tetrarch, which was not technically a king, but it was a ruler of sort of Galilee and Perea. And I do apologize. I was going to put that in on Friday night. I didn't. Um, had a nice map for you. <laughs> But um, if you can conceptualize, you've got the Sea of Galilee up here and the Dead Sea down here. Uh, you've got Samaria, Judea, Galilee, and then over here, just on the other side of Samaria, across the Jordan River is Perea. Uh, what happened was when Herod the Great died, um, I wonder if he named himself. That's kind of arrogant, isn't it? I could see Brian the Adequate, uh, but Brian the Great seems a little bit proud, you know, so, but anyway, maybe somebody else named him, probably not, knowing kind of where he was, but he dies, and then it gets split up, and you got Philip and, and, and Antipater, and you get Antipas, who takes this area, uh, so Judea was under, but, but they end up, in 6 AD, the governors start coming in, because the ruler there was just not doing well. Uh, so they, they take him out, and eventually in, in around 27 to 37 A.D., there's a governing ruler of that area by the name of Pontius Pilate. That's kind of where that all comes from. So this guy, he has Galilee and Perea, so he's concerned. Um, Perea would come down to that Bethany beyond the Jordan, so John the Baptist would have been in his jurisdiction. Um, and so 
but it's interesting, the possibilities. This mirrors the Matthew 16 passage, which is the one I was kind of alluding to with the kids. That's, that's when they go to Caesarea Philippi, which is way up north, if you want your map up here. Um, that's where Jesus asks, who do people say that I am? to the dis- apostles, and they give about the same list, although they're not quite as sure that he's John the Baptist come from the dead. John hasn't been dead that long. And it's kind of like, does that really make sense that they were, I think they were seen together. <laughs> Remember the baptism? I mean, I mean, I guess what I'm luck thinking about here is Herod, I don't think is thinking logically at this point. Um, he's concerned. And, and it shows some remorse to some extent, but it is an important question. You know, he's trying to figure this out, and so should we. That's what we're here for, really, is to find out who he is, and once we know, to, to live into that. But these are most likely the most popular things that were put forth. You remember Elijah, we're going to see that he was supposed to show up. Uh, he's coming back. Remember how Elijah left? That was kind of cool, you know. <laughs> That's how you make a whirlwind sound, if you didn't know that. He goes up and in the chariot of fire. It's really cool. He does not die. There's only a few that don't get to do that um, in the Bible. But uh, the second option is based on the Jewish expectation of that prophet Elijah coming. And this is actually what we would call in our Bibles, the, the, a Christian Bible, which is the same as the Jewish Old Testament, but it's ordered differently. Our last book in our order is Malachi. So this is actually the last verse um, in ours, last two verses. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This was a salvation appearance. Otherwise, you get destroyed. This is an Old Testament motif, which is also a New Testament motif. But someone's coming, and you see this, and I don't have this up here, but if you go to Luke 1, when the angel comes to Zechariah in the temple, these are the words he uses for John. Well, Herod's having a little trouble figuring out which one this is. Now, the other one is the, uh, the prophet. Um, here it says a prophet, but there you'll see this in other parts of the uh, Bible. They'll say the prophet. And this comes back to Moses. In Deuteronomy, he said that the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses, from among you, from your brethren. It is him you shall listen. So this was an expectation. There's a prophet going to come in the power of Moses. And we'll get there in a little bit, but who is it that shows up with Jesus on that mountain? Elijah or Moses? You You know, this is a smart aleck comment, but, you know, it's almost like God knew what he was doing, you know, all the time. Uh, But again, who Jesus is and was is the most important question in the world. Almost every religion has to deal with him. Everyone, atheists just say he doesn't, he's not God, there isn't one. You know, Jews said he, he was a misguided teacher that wasn't the Messiah. The, it, Islam holds him up pretty high. Human only, not God, didn't get crucified, but he's the one that comes to judge the living and the dead, and he was born of a virgin. That's Islam. If you ever want to talk to a Muslim about faith, just talk about Isa. That's what they call Jesus. Because it really comes down to either, you know, logically, either they're right or we're right. We both can't be right. And we just try to figure out who's right. Best we can. 
But verse 16 shows Herod Antipas still had remorse over his actions. You can see that he's worried. He's worried in kind of a neurotic way, but he's worried. He's, he's concerned. So let's go on to this. Is, this would be our, uh, our back story. For it, it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he, Herod, had married her. I don't know what you would rate this movie, uh, but we're just going to read what it says. Uh, for John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. So this is interesting backdrop. Herod liked listening to him. There was something about John's message that resonated. You know, you see that today. There, there, you know, Jesus, I don't mean to, this sounds pejorative, but Jesus sells. I mean, you talk about Jesus, most of the time people will listen. Now, they might not listen very long. But I, I would encourage you to do this. If you're talking about a social issue, if you're talking about a theological issue, or your life, don't say, and you can do what you want. This is just Brian, so I'm, I'm not Brian the Great, so you can do what you want with it. Don't say the Bible says, because people are like, well, then you've got to talk about whether the Bible is authoritative. Just say Jesus said. And that doesn't even have to be the red letter stuff, because we've got Jesus in the background, because Jesus is God, second person of the Trinity, and guess who wrote the Bible? The third person of the Trinity, and they're kind of in cahoots. So it doesn't just have to be the red, but Jesus has some things to say about things. Put it on him, and then they can get mad at him. They did already, right? They're already ready to kill him, too. But Let's talk about what Jesus says. Let's get that, and then we can decide what we want to believe. So Herod has some guilt here. He's, he's or some, something's touching his soul. A little bit like Pilate's wife thing, you know. There's just something that's going on here. Verse 21, but an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guest. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? Now at this point, what do you think you would ask for? A nice horse? Yeah, money, you know, I don't know. Nice TV, you know. I don't know. You know. What would you, a new smartphone? You know, I mean, you, you think all the things you would ask back then, it's like, this just doesn't seem like it would come to mind, would it? The head of John the Baptist, which is okay if the rest of the body's with it, but this is not what she's talking about. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked him, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. I don't know if she added that or not, but this is morbid. I don't know if you knew that. This is, wow. And the king was exceedingly sorry, I suppose. So what do you do? This is what we call a moral dilemma. You can either do what is right or do what is easy. 
but because of his oaths and his guest, he did not want to break his word to her. We sometimes make really weird choices because of our oaths and our guests, don't we? Um, and immediately the king sent an executioner, because he's already in jail, with the orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. Happy birthday. I mean, this is just, I mean, you think about the Bible, it's like you wondered if you did do the whole Bible, what we would have to rate it in a movie. Um, I don't know why I thought of this, but we have those Kingstone Bibles that, that uh, I kind of, I wonder what they do with this. Uh, probably not as much as this does with it. Um, and when his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Um, this is sad. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> this is not, this is just, and you know, I don't know if you're thinking that. I am. It's not even in the sermon, but it's like, where's God? Now, I know intellectually he's, he's there. I know he's sovereign, that nothing happens without him, but it's like, well, why? It's a good question to ask, isn't it? It's a hard question to answer. <laughs> but look at what's going on the level of immorality here. Galatians 5, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness. This is quite a list. Wild parties and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Which is really good until I find out that I did some of those. Sometimes in your mind, sometimes you actually do it. I I'm not sure I've ever quarreled with anybody. Never been part of a division. Hmm. Good thing I never had outbursts of anger, because that would be wrong, right? <laughs> so my team always wins, so I'm always happy. It's hard, because what's after this? If you get the end of the Galatians, you get the fruit of the Spirit. This is the fruit of the anti-spirit or anti-Christ. But this is in the background. It's all this stuff. Because what we tend to do, and I do it the same thing, that Herod is a bad dude. His wife's a bad dudette. <laughs> and so is his stepdaughter. But it kind of goes back to 1 Corinthians 6 when it has another list of people who won't inherit. Now, these are people who just keep doing this stuff and don't give a hoot. And that there's that line in there, that, and such were some of you he says to the Corinthian Christians. And I'm like, uh-oh. But you were washed. You were cleaned by the blood of Jesus. You know, that's the thing. We always have to put ourselves back in here. Because I certainly would do the right thing if I would have been Herod. Right? Never been in the position. I hope so. It's always easy when there's no consequences to your actions. Now, just to kind of give you some background here, this is why John's so upset. And we can argue to the cows come home whether John did this right or wrong. I don't know. John's not Jesus. He doesn't do everything perfectly. You know, should he have done this? Should he not have done this? You know, we can talk about that in a little bit. But Herod, is, she'd married her half-uncle, Herod Philip. Good start. She left him to marry his brother, Herod Antipas. 
These loose morals typical of the Herodian dynasty were what John the Baptist was preaching against. You shouldn't do this because they're supposed to be Jewish. They're supposed to be following Torah. Herod his daughter danced for Herod and his guests. This was not a tap dance or a waltz. This was meant to arouse. It was sensual. You can tell by the Greek. You can probably get it in the English. Now, her actions and most likely her attire was advertising something. I think it was Charles Spurgeon, I want to give credit, where, where he said, be careful what you advertise. <laughs> I always think about ourselves. What do we advertise, men or women, you know? And it's always easy to say that everybody else is doing it. <laughs> but then when we, we got to be careful. You know, we always tell the young women, it's like, well, you, you know, you're pretty, you can look pretty, but just be careful. Because when you advertise something, there are people who are ready to buy. Herod was ready to buy. You know, he was pleased. He was really pleased. And we got to think it's more than just that, well, that was a really nice dance. You know, like we go up to the theater and they do the dances and stuff. And we're like, that was really cool, you know. He'd already had an incestuous, adulterous relationship with his wife. It appears he's ready to have one with his stepdaughter, too. And what does he offer? Offer something he doesn't have. He can't give her half the kingdom. Guys who are jerks do this all the time. Always offer what they can't give you. And she shows her motives by this. It looks like it was contrived. We find out from Matthew this was contrived. She wants John dead. I mean, this is really intriguing. You know, what's going on in the world? It's like, it's... Amazing that what's happening here. But it shows his character. He's more worried about his guests than he is about doing the right thing. And again, I've never been in this put in this position. I don't have that power. You hope you'd make the right decision, wouldn't you? It really comes down to who are we trying to please in our life. This does teach us that. You know, in con context, Herod doesn't come off real good here. Why? Because he's not good. He's bad. And he doesn't seem to want to follow the one that can clean him up. But the old, the Puritan idea that you're the audience of one is something I think you should always keep in the background of your mind. Who am I trying to please? That's hard, isn't it? You think about these people who wrote these books, the ones who followed Jesus. We had a list of them earlier, and they went out and they did all these wonderful things. What happened to all these apostles? Did they all become kings? Not yet. <laughs> I think if I keep reading, eventually they do get some kingship, but not in this earth. You know, we have it happen pretty fast. Where, you know, it doesn't take long to get into Acts. About 10 years down, James gets killed. You know, we've, we've got every one of them, with the exception of John, either biblically or historically, were martyred for their faith. So who are they following? Well, it's the audience of one. It's always easy. You know, we have in America, we have what's called cultural Christianity. Well, what does that mean? You're a Christian because of the culture. I don't think that's necessarily bad, but it can be bad, can't it? When the rubber hits the road, who are you going to follow? Where's your audience? And I've never had that happen. Have you? I've, I've read about that even in our own day. We can read it. You, have you ever had somebody look at you and say, I will kill you if you give up your faith. 
that's when Jesus told them that the Spirit will give you the words. And I'm like, thank you. Because <laughs> I don't know if I would have them. Because remember, I'm just Brian the Adequate. And you all are. If you're going to be able to say, I stand for Christ, it's not going to be just you doing it. It's the Spirit within you. That power comes from Him, not you. And there's a lot of good books. Fox's Book of Martyrs is a good one to find out what these people did and the amazing faith that's there. Herod, not so much. Um, you know, it's wise to try to have your most important relationships be the ones that help you please God. We tell that with the kids, right? That was a big thing in Fellowship of Christian Athletes when I was in that in, in college. Put people around you who are peer pressure that make you follow Jesus, not go away from him. That's pretty wise, isn't it? Doesn't mean you can't have other acquaintances that don't know him. I mean, you got people here, you know, we've all, we play on teams, we, we march in bands, we do, you know, the, with secular things. Yeah, sure, that's fine. But the ones who you really are trying to please they should have the same worldview that you do. And marriage is the same way. Have, you know, that's the old unequally yoked thing. You should be in the sa on the same team here. That when you, if you're a, a, a wife that pleases her husband, you're also pleasing God at the same time. Or you're a friend that pleases another close friend, you're also pleasing God at the same time. Not so much with Herod here at this birthday party. Because pleasing the guests appeared to be beheading John. That's not God-honoring, if you didn't know that. It's a good thing you come to these sermons, you wouldn't figure this stuff out. I mean, that's, again, who are you trying to please? And try to line it up as best you can. Uh, so he feels this remorse. He has this guilt. We found that out earlier. He seems to like John. He feels the remorse, which is the first step toward repentance but it is not repentance. Do you think Judas felt remorse? What, what did Judas eventually do? He killed himself. Well, why would one do that? Well, at least remorse, right? He f I, he, there was some guilt there, but he didn't do anything with it. He didn't put it at the foot of the cross. Well, let me ask you this. This is rhetorical. You can yell it out if you want. Any Baptists in the crowd? There you go. Virginia was here, she'd probably say this. You know, if you, if, you, if you think about that, if you think about who you're trying to please, and Ju if Judas would have repented, would God have forgiven him? I don't see any, no, I, yeah. Is the power of the cross greater than the betrayal of Judas? I hope so. Otherwise, they're in big trouble. What's the problem? As far as we know, he didn't. I will be surprised if I get to heaven and Judas is there. You know, maybe there's more to the story. I don't know. You know, sometimes we can just deal in probabilities. It seems to me the most likely he doesn't. He did, but and if he is, how did that happen? He had to have a, I don't know. It's a hard one, isn't it? We'll let God take care of the salvation part. How does that go? But he didn't repent. Neither did Herod. So, there is sometimes we have to choose between what is right and what is easy. You know, a time is coming, Paul said, and it already has come that when you'll, people will want you to do things against the gospel and people will tell you what your itching ears want to hear. Jesus was not a very good ear itcher, and I think John the Baptist was even worse. 
What did he call the Pharisees? A brood of vipers. That is not a compliment. He was there, he was a prophet in, in, in the spirit of Elijah, as we know. So what a person does with their guilt is eternally important. We've talked about Judas. What about Peter? Was Peter guilty? I won't, I won't ever say anything against you. I'll die for you. That was at the Last Supper. I'll never deny you. <laughs> oh, my golly. I feel so bad for this guy. I see myself in Peter a lot. Running the race so hard, but missing the main point sometimes. <laughs> it's like, but such a great line. You get this in John. It's like, I have prayed for you. And after you return, strengthen the brothers. Do you think the fact that Peter denied his Lord and then repented and was forgiven was a more powerful witness than if he wouldn't have done it? Probably. Does that excuse doing it? No. Boy, what if we had that that's out there, the gospel of Judas. It's really not a gospel. It wasn't written by Judas. We don't even have the whole thing. So don't, don't read that. Well, you can read it, but it's not canonical. But what would have happened if we had a, if Judas would have not hung himself and said, you know, I did wrong. I should not have done this. What a witness he could have had. Herod could have done the same thing. Probably would have lost his job. But again, we, we'll talk about this right at the end, but that old Heidelberg catechism idea of what the gospel is all about and what it means to follow Jesus. Guilt is where you start. Guilty before a holy God. Everybody is. But these guys didn't, Judas and Herod, they don't get to the grace part. Peter did. And then you live a life of gratitude because you have those things. It's kind of a summary. So, you know, as morbid as this account is, it shows the lengths that an evil heart will go to please themselves and others. We all kind of do that sometimes. I remember even in adulthood, you know, did you do this? Well, yeah, but, you know, the wind was in my eyes and, the, you know, all this stuff. You know, we always got to have excuses. Or I've heard them. The woman, she told me to eat it. Remember that one? Oh, yeah, with well that stinky thing. He's the one that did it. Satan's the only one that doesn't offer an excuse. <laughs> That's not good. Right? This is a picture of the immorality of lust, self-centeredness, and a desire for power. It's still a problem today, isn't it? And it's hard in our, our lives to manipulate and what, what, what we're trying to do. Power corrupts. And again, Jesus shows it so much different and the apostles show it much different. We see that when he says, this is what servant leadership looks like and he gets on his knees and washes their feet. Wow. Have you ever had somebody wash your feet? It's really uncomfortable. Why? He says, well, get up. You know, Could you imagine what that would have been like? Of course, Peter speaks up. Don't do it. Well, you got to do it. Okay, do it. You know, he's just, Peter's just so impetuous. I love the guy. He's, uh, read his books. He's got a couple good ones. You know, sometimes God allows evil for reasons we don't understand. That this, this, this count, you know, where is God in this? 
I mean, just think about it. You've got to be careful with this, I realize, because it didn't happen this way. But what if John could have been one of the apostles? What could he have done? He could have been a follower for Jesus for many years, pointing people to Jesus. And he has all, I mean, he was on fire for him. So why? I told you we are going to ask a why. Why did God allow this to happen? You know me. If you know me, you've been in a Bible study, you know this is hard for me to say, but I don't know. I don't know. I guess I'll just quote Abraham in Genesis. You know God. I don't know. I think we can say this. Did God mess up here? So if there's a problem with us, our understanding of why, it's not with God, it's with us. God had a morally sufficient reason to allow this. And he got his church started, and it's still going, and it, we still proclaim it w without John the Baptist continuing, right? And so I, don't th I think it's okay to ask the questions and maybe even dream a little. What would it have been like? Well, it didn't happen that way. And I do think that's what's going on with John. Maybe when he's in prison and in other Gospels, it says, you know, are you the one? Well, he baptized him. Spirit came down. How hard is this, John? Why is he saying that? I wonder. You can do what you want with this. Isaiah 61, you know what Jesus uses in, in, in Nazareth, Luke 4? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to, pre to preach the good news to the poor, to release captives. Uh-oh. What was John? He was a captive. I wonder if John was thinking, if you're the one, I shouldn't be in here. And you, I'll step back and be the first one to say, I don't want to be in there either. I, you know, you think about what, hap what would happen in America if they said, well, you can't preach Jesus from the pulpit anymore. We're not there. There's other countries that are. I hope we never get there. It's easy right now. We have these great songs. You guys are listening. Nobody's falling, well, a few, but nobody's falling asleep for the most part. This is not hard. It's a little harder when you're in the middle of Iraq or Indonesia. Would I be standing up for him as like John the Baptist if I was going to go to prison if I said it? I don't know. I don't know. I'd try to avoid prison if I could. Why do you think they meet in those places in secret? But we do. We don't have to read too much, far, uh, too far on the internet and find people, pastors, and, and people who are actually arrested for being a follower of Jesus. guess they're following the audience of one there a little bit. So what's our mission here at, at uh, Grace Church? Teaching each person to trust in Jesus. This includes holding tight to God's promises even when we don't understand his methods in our fallen world. And we talked about that. We sang those songs. I'd like to say that I looked at those songs and came up with the welcome. It just happened, folks. Sometimes God works that way. They were just like, wow. Aaron probably even thought this. Like, he must have looked at this. I didn't. It just, you know, it just we have a couple of funerals coming up. And then we sing, because he lives. It's like, well, that was cool. But we don't understand this all the time. It, you know, yeah, we don't understand why John the Baptist died. I look around. We don't understand why a lot of people die that we love. Especially believers. It's like, well, they could keep telling people about Jesus. God has his way, and we have to just step back. Now, again, 
where's John by the time we get here? The Baptist John. Where's he at? He's dead. Who's he with? Well, he's with Yahweh, right? So is he okay? Yeah. So who really has the problem? Well, it's us and his followers. That's what funerals are for. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> we're not preaching anybody into heaven or out of hell. or We're just trying to remind people that in this world we have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I mean, that's, it's about it's for us. And that's what this is, too. It's the John's disciples that need to hear to be assured of what's going on. So Herod Antipas, a fallen man, shows what can happen when power and evil work together. I'm glad it just happened back then and doesn't happen now. There's more power now than there ever was. We pray. We pray for our leaders, not in this country, but in all. He felt guilty for his actions. He should have. He also wondered who Jesus was. He should have. Unfortunately, he was too worried about himself and what others thought of him to turn toward the only one that could have dealt with his guilt in a real and eternal way. So God has a plan for humanity, and it always starts with guilt. What was the first verse? First thing out of first red letter verse in Mark. You're going to get this because I'm probably going to bring it up every sermon. Jesus comes on the scene and says, repent. The prophetic word. Why say that? What does repent imply? That you're guilty. It always starts with that. I've used this before, but I'll use it again. R.C. Sproul, great uh, Reformed theologian that died about mm, 2019 or so. He said when you talk to people on airplanes or at Jiffy Lube or wherever it is you get to talk to people, you always ask them one question. If they're not religious or spiritual or he talks about spiritual, he said, what do you do with the guilt? And he always gets one of two, you know, he gets the prayer, well, I'm not guilty. But a lot of people say, how did you know? It's there. It's that existential thing that we all have. But it doesn't stop there, right? We have guilt for our sin. It starts there. All sin and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. But then Jesus comes in and gives us the grace that we can accept. You know, guilt, great. Without the grace, the guilt just is damning. We end up, as Jesus said in John 3, 18, he who does not believe is condemned already because you're guilty. Now you're saved. Now you have eternal life if you accept the grace. That's it. You don't have to add anything to it to be in the fatherhood, in the family of God. But then what shall we then do? Well, that's where the gratitude comes in. And we'll end with words from John the Baptist, actually from Matthew 3. What does it look to be grati have gratitude? I love the way he puts it. You know, what do we do, John? What do we do? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. What's he mean? It should look like you've repented. It should look like that you're living by grace. It should look like that Jesus makes a difference in your life. And sometimes that'll mean I've fallen short and you throw yourself at the mercy of the cross and accept forgiveness again. Let us pray. Fathers, we look at this account of one of your, well, as Jesus said, 
no greater prophet ever lived than John the Baptist, his cousin. And when we see evil people kill him, we, we wonder why. I'm sure that was the emotion that uh, not only Jesus' followers, but John's did had too. And when we look at our own lives, we wonder why about a lot of things. But we know the answer. We're in a fallen world. We know it intellectually. But I just pray for each one here that you'll help us through those times emotionally and spiritually. Help us remember that the why is that this world is not what we were prepared for. And we were prepared for another world, a world where righteousness dwells and your son is not just uh, king of a of a part of it, but king of all of it. And may our lives now, in gratitude, always want to follow that king and make him the Lord of our lives and actions. We pray in his name. Amen.